Welcome to the Matthew Moran podcast. Here I sit down and talk with some of the best photographers, writers, editors, designers, and publishers working in the visual arts. These conversations will give you an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts, and it is a chance to hear their story and personal journey in a rapidly changing, highly competitive, but hugely exciting field. I've had the pleasure of working with many of my guests over the years and have learned so much from spending time with them, not just working together on projects, but having conversations about what it means to be a creative freelancer, sourcing exciting projects, sharing skills through partnerships and not losing sight of your goals and dreams. This podcast is my chance to share these stories with you. So sit back, relax and enjoy. guest today is Pete Cairns. Pete is a professional photographer and the founding director of the Wild Media Foundation, which is a social enterprise and includes initiatives such as Scotland, The Big Picture, an organisation that informs, inspires and influences fresh thinking around the potential for a wilder Scotland. He also co-founded the Wild Wonders of Europe project, which brought together 70 of the continent's most talented nature photographers and sent them on 145 assignments across 48 European countries to gather more than 200,000 stunning images which showcase Europe's rich diversity and to promote conservation as a force for good. Following the success of Wild Wonders of Europe, Pete was also a founding member of 2020 Vision, a project which brought together 20 of the UK's top photographers to communicate the benefits of a wilder landscape. Prior to this, he initiated and photographed for projects including the Highland Tiger, a conservation story about the plight of the Scottish wildcat, and Tooth and Claw, which explored our relationships with predators in the UK. These days, Pete is happiest working on his doorstep in the Cairngorms National Park in the Scottish Highlands, producing high-quality stills and video, and is an advocate of shooting wildlife and landscapes close to home. He is a serving board member of the Scottish rewilding charity Trees for Life, and a senior fellow of the International League of Conservation Photographers. In this podcast, Pete speaks candidly about his work and how photography can inform and inspire people. He is passionate about the communicative power of visual media and selling hope rather than beating people over the head with a stick about conservation. And he's having some success stories along the way. So have a listen for yourself. Pete, thanks so much for coming along and agreeing to this interview. We're back in Bristol at the Wild Screen Film Festival, which is very exciting. It was actually two years ago where I started this podcast and I've got a few under my belt now. And uh, the funny thing was, you know, I'm thinking about why, you know, Wild Screen is such a hub and a lot of photographers, filmmakers, really interesting people come to this heartland of filmmaking. And in my podcast, mind, I'm thinking, great, I'm going to, you know, get as many interviews as possible. But of course, everyone's busy. Um, and it's great that you're not today, so <laughs> you, were, you were pretty busy yesterday, so thanks so much for agreeing to it, and um, I had a great time yesterday uh, hearing you talk twice, um, and uh, yeah, tell us a bit about how you felt the presentations went, and um, getting your message across. I certainly really, really enjoyed them, um, but obviously this is such a good place for, for, for presenting work. Yeah, well, well, thank you very much indeed for asking me, um, and thanks for your kind comments. Um, how how did it go? I, I I always find it really really difficult to to, to sort of objectively evaluate 
the effectiveness or the professionalism or however you want to term it of, of my presentations. Uh, there were a few glitches, there always are. Um, hopefully they weren't too obvious. But I think overall, certainly last night, with, we did the event with the rewilding event with Laurel and Jeslin, of course, and um, I think, you know, the two of us kind of complement each other. So I think I think that was a, a, now, a nice rounded evening and, and certainly the feedback has been really good. So, definitely, yeah. definitely. And in your earlier talk, um, you know, I was taking some notes and I think one of the things I loved the way you started that talk was, you know, showing a, a great, powerful portrait of a polar bear and other kind of iconic species that wildlife photographers love to shoot but you said that you were embarrassed <laughs> about <laughs> these pictures and uh, I mean it's a you know it's a nice humorous way of kind of presenting why you were but you're a photographer that's much more interested in what you can do with your pictures rather than you know these big impactful powerful pictures themselves um, so tell us why. I suppose my my journey, if you like, if that's a bit of an overused word, but my journey um, towards sort of conservation photography or conservation media um, started way back in Africa with a, a guy called Carl Amman, who, who's still around. He, he's done, gone on to do a huge amount of work on the bushmeat trade. But I remember um, not only being, I went to a talk one night while I was in Africa, not only were his images very beautiful, but he himself communicated his passion for and his love for Africa. So so passionately, so eloquently, and, and I kind of just, I just felt that. And, and, and I think, you know, it really, in, in, I'd say, infected me, I guess, his, his, his enthusiasm. And so my take has, has always been, but more recently has manifested much more in this direction, um, has been that, you know, I want my work to, to have a, have a dip, make a difference, to have an impact. Um, I can't measure that impact very easily, but I just do my best to use the visual imagery that's that's kind of the currency that i use the the, the money i trade in if you like um to communicate and and over the years what i was saying yesterday is that um although you know a frame filling image of a polar bear is is great it's high impact it's very beautiful it's very aesthetic it, it doesn't actually do a great deal it doesn't tell a story it doesn't it doesn't inform me it doesn't inspire me to think or feel differently so i you know, the approach to my photography these days, and this has gradually increased over the years, is much more to think about what the image or images are going to do. What are they going to do to the audience? What are they going to say to the audience? What are they going to make the audience feel or think differently? Um, so I've kind of come through 180, really. I, I still like to think I care about the, you know, the composition and the aesthetics and the lighting and all of those sort of instinctive photographic techniques, but that's hopefully by now kind of a given. Now thinking about you know what are the storytelling properties or qualities of this image or set of images? Yeah. So it's a communications process rather than a photographic process. Sure, and and you know you've mobilised really big projects which we can you know want to talk about those later. But you know Wild Wonders and Twenty Twenty and you know what you're doing now in Scotland, the big picture. And so I was interested in asking you this question because you know a lot of the debate yesterday is about you know what we can do with our pictures. But you've also already done a lot and now you have in a way some i don't know call them business models or models of mobilizing these big projects having ideas getting a message across but you know what's the evaluation of these projects you know in your mind have they been a success what could you have done differently you know your aims and in intentions in the first place did they succeed in your in your view mm, that's, a, that's a really good question 
just to give you a little bit of context, um, this process was was born out of desire to a certain extent, but actually born out of necessity. If you go back to, I don't know, 2005, I guess, when the, when the digital revolution really swept in and started to change the business of nature mm. photography, me and, and others started to have to think about how to do things differently. And, and so combined with that sort of latent desire to do something with my work, um, Mark Hamblin and I, a very good friend of mine, um, you know, we started off, we, we, we sat down and thought, right, wh- where can we go? What are we going to do? So we had a bash in it, and it was exactly that, a bash at photographic storytelling. We did a project called Tooth and Claw about predators and our perceptions of and attitudes towards. And I think what that did is, A, um, ignited our desire for photographic storytelling. B, it gave us a, it gave us a huge amount of understanding into what, impact imagery and communication generally can have on people mm-hmm. we made a lot of mistakes we did a lot of things that we would do very differently now but it gave us an insight into the power of visual imagery to communicate to a mainstream audience yeah. and from there from those lessons we went on to do a project about um, scottish wildcats called highland tiger and again you learn your lessons and you try and avoid making mistakes twice and and from there we got involved or i got involved anyway with with wild wonders of europe and that was a big learning curve um and then we took again the best bits from wild wonders and translated that into a british version of wild wonders that became 2020 vision so all through this process you're, you're making a lot of mistakes you're learning as you go along um and eventually hopefully you know you you, you crystallize a model that has evolved from from all of your experience over over many many years and arrive at something that that works or works most sure. of the time and, and I'd like to think that Scotland the big picture is is kind of the culmination of all of those right. mistakes and lessons learned um, and we've arrived at a situation where it kind of works most of the time. <laughs> That's great. And I guess you still have to go into it with an open mind. I mean, you can't go in, oh, well, I've done Wild Wonders, I've done 2020, I've done... So this is how it's going to work because it's obviously a different subject matter, you're dealing with different people. But one of the things that I you know, think you're good at, and I know it's not just you, you work with a team of people. And I, when you mentioned Tooth and Claw, it sparked a memory for me. And it's when I first heard about you and I saw you present at Wild Photos. But even before that, I, I heard you talk, I think it was on Radio 4, and I, I was, you know, my ears pricked up. I was driving and here's a story about conservation in, in, in the UK. But that's something that I think as a photographer, well, we're just no longer photographers. We have to be media people. We have to reach out and, and get our message. And did that, is that something, did you have any kind of background in, in sort of how to speak to the media or any kind of training? Or did, were you just kind of naturally good at it, reaching out to people with these conservation stories and messages? Um, well, I certainly have no formal training. I mean, it's very nice of you to say I'm naturally good at it. I, I don't particularly consider myself to be a, to be a natural speaker or communicator. Um, I guess I'm a little bit, I'm a bit persistent. I'm a bit, I'm a bit annoying, really. I'm a bit anal, I'm a bit sort of like a Jack Russell. When I get my teeth into something, I kind of have to make it work. But um, no, I had no formal training. And, and, you know, all of what I know, or the, I wouldn't hold myself up as any sort of, you know, I don't know everything by any means, but I think all of what I know, I've just gained through experiences. And then, you know, I look back and I cringe at some of the things I did, you know, 10 <laughs> or 15 years ago, and, and, and you would never repeat them. And we've made mistakes, you know, we've made logistical mistakes, we've made strategic mistakes, we've made a lot of money mistakes um, yeah. over the years. And as I say, you just try and learn from those and, and, 
and fine tune the process as you go along. Um, and as I say, hopefully now, 15, 20 years on, you get to a point where um, you don't make those mistakes again. Yeah, and, sure. But it's a, it's a process, it's a journey, yeah. and, and you know, it's been a long journey. For and it us. hasn't put you off, you know, you hasn't put you off working with, with groups of people and mobilising ambitious projects. Well, yes and no. Um, I mean, there was a point where my wife said, if you, if you take on another project, then, you know, our, our marriage is over. <laughs> so I, I called Scotland the big picture an initiative rather than a project. <laughs> And so I got away with that one, but but nevertheless, um, I think I think some of those projects we mentioned, um, yeah, I wouldn't do them again for 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 many reasons. Some of them are personal um, in in terms. Of I don't particularly want to travel much anymore. Um, I don't think there's much merit in in traveling the world, you know, generating images sure. that others are better placed to do. Yeah. So I suppose um, I suppose what I've come round to understanding is that. You know, where, where the question is, where can I be most effective? And, and as I said in the talk yesterday, the answer to that really is close to home, where I know the lie of the land physically, but I also understand the cultural, social, political context. So not only am I, am I able to photograph and film that story or those stories more effectively because of that knowledge, but I'm also able to contextualize the story better mm -hmm. because of the additional knowledge. So it makes no sense to me for me um, to, to gallivant off to wherever, Spitsbergen and, you know, photograph polar bears because sure. there are people that are better at it, better placed yes. than I am. But flip that around, there are perhaps not that many people better placed to tell stories about rewilding in Scotland. So yeah. where are your strengths and yeah. play to them? And where are your weaknesses and you avoid them? So, yeah. as I say, it's a process that's evolved and has now crystallised into myself and Mark and, and the colleagues I work with working in a very limited geographical area. It's quite a big story, rewilding. It's got many threads to it, but it's it's a focused project. Yeah. It's, it's not trying to be everything to everybody everywhere. Of course. Um, and I think that's a lesson that we've learned, you know, do do something very well rather than trying to do many things badly. Yeah, of course. And, you know, in previous podcasts, I spoke to Sam Hobson about that. And, you know, he said, you know, be, you know, to get recognition with your pictures is do something accessible, do something easy. And I was thinking about that again, with, you know, relating relating to your picture about the polar bear. And you know, there's a lot of young graduate photographers here, and you know, there's part of me that thinks, well, you don't want to put people off having that buzz, or that both of us have had. You know, I started in Africa in 2000, and actually, I really wasn't aware that there was, you know, so many amazing. But I came back with all these slides, thinking, brilliant world. Mm -hmm. I've got all these pictures. You know, they're going to get published everywhere, and I was quickly humbled. That actually, you know, there's, there's great photographers out there doing that stuff. But that was important experience for me just to get hooked. And of course, there's probably no better place for land animals anyway to go than Africa to get you hooked on somewhere. So what would you say to someone that was like, oh, actually, I really fancy photographing polar bears or a way of like honing their skills or just to get the kind of physical buzz of, of doing nature photography? Yeah, I, I get it. I get it completely. I've done it myself. You know, I've, I've traveled reasonably extensively and, and, and enjoyed it all, of course. Um, so I, I certainly wouldn't try and dissuade anybody from doing it. And it all builds your experience. It all build, builds your sort of worldliness, if you like. Um, so I'm not, I'm not denigrating it in any way. But I think if you want to tell um, compelling 
stories about wildlife, landscapes, conservation, whatever, then you've got to have access to the subject matter on a regular basis. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that might not necessarily be close to home, but in my opinion, it has to be somewhere that you can access regularly. And also, not only in terms of, of photographing or filming the, the subject, you have to know about it. And, yes. and to build up a deep knowledge about a particular landscape or issue or wildlife species, whatever it happens to be, you know, that that's not quickly earned. You've got to work for that. So that's why it makes sense for us to work at home, because not only can we photograph it more effectively, we can tell the story more effectively because we know the subject matter. Yeah, and you become the, the person um, from the outside. Oh, Pete's the... You know, he's the Scotland guy. He's the go-to person. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, there is a. We, we, you know, none of us are in this business to make a fortune, but there, you know, everybody has to work on a sound financial footing, and mm. and part of that decision-making process is exactly that. You know, we we hopefully become synonymous with producing high-quality yes. content from that particular area of the world around that particular rewilding narrative. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So when I was doing my background research on you, I, I read that you became freelance in 1999. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. More or less, so I was yeah. curious about you know, what you did before. How did you end up becoming a nature photographer? <laughs> oh, that's a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> um, well, well, very briefly, um, when I was 18, I was going to be a rock star. Clearly that didn't work <laughs> out. Um, and I ended up actually with the band, where I was played in a band, and I ended up with the band Van, the Van Lorry, effectively. And, and um, yeah, so I started shifting a bit of furniture around, um, and, and that kind of grew and grew over a 12-year period and ended up having a, effectively a, a, a reasonably sized uh, transport contractor company. So... Um, so that was what I did for sort of most of my 20s into my early 30s. And then I suppose I had a little bit of an epiphany. I, again, like you, I went to Africa. It was a holiday. You know, I just right. wanted to get away for a couple of weeks. And I just literally picked up the, the nearest brochure and plodded my finger on paper. Have you not even taken any pictures? No, I had an interest. I'd yeah. always, I always had an interest in nature ever since I was a kid. But but that got superseded because I was going to, you know, first of all, I was, was going to be a rock star. Then yeah. I was going to conquer the business world and all those mad young aspirations totally unrealistic um but but ultimately yeah we um, my wife and i went on holiday to africa in 92 93 i can't remember exactly and that's when i met carl Aman. so right. so although i did have an interest in photography he was the one that really lit my blue touch paper um, and i came away from there with no clear idea of being a nature photographer but uh, but you know the I'd been infected with the mm. virus and, and that that never left. And, it's and so nice to hear that because so many people talk about just, I mean, it's not, not the same for everyone, I'm sure, but that kind of mentor, that figure, or that inspirational moment. Of course, uh, with hindsight, it seems like that. And there are other things, you know, your own interest in yeah. natural history. But I think a, a mentor is is really important or someone that can inspire someone is, is great. It's just really nice to hear that. And then I, I actually went, when I, very shortly after we got back from Africa and I'd got the bug, I was just scouring the, you know, where can I learn more? How can I consume more of this great material? Mm. And I drove um, 150 miles one night to, to look to a talk that Laurie Campbell did in, in The Borders. Um, and I remember very clearly, I mean, this was, I don't know, 22, 23 years ago, the first image came up of a robin on a, on a spade. You know, I mean, you, you'd laugh now because it's so overdone, that image. But at yeah. the time, it was huge screen, big, bright image and this lovely, crisp, pin sharp robin. And it's still, you know, it's still um, etched on my mind. And, and I, I came away from that, that talk saying, 
to myself. I didn't know what it looked like, but somehow I was going to pursue this as 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 a, as a, as a, as a not just a job, but as a as a as a lifestyle. You yeah, know? Um, and then it, it slowly evolved from from those early seeds. You know? Yeah, that's great. And I think, um, you know, I do get a lot of young people listening to this podcast. I mean, not necessarily, but also young people who have had careers and then you know want to change and are interested in not just nature photography but photography in general. And it is that big question: like, how do you make it? I mean, you became freelance in '99. I mean, how did you literally start paying your bills from, you know, from taking pictures? What were your, do you, do you remember having a moment where you just had enough to live on or were you kind of living on scraps in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I, well, A, yes, I was living on scraps in the beginning. Um, I got my sort of foot under the door, as it were, under the table, should I say, leg under the table, <laughs> feet under the table. Anyway, I got, in the door. I got, that's the one, that's yeah. the one. I got started. Um in the same way that many of my contemporaries got started, you know, supplying stock imagery. Yeah. And for a while, you know, it allowed me to gallivant around the world, taking those pretty pictures. And, and I'd just get them up, bearing in mind we were on film in those days, you know, stick them in the post, send them off to the agent and sit back and wait for the check. Yeah. And that, you know, that worked for me for, for three, four years. And, and as I say, what changed the, the business and the, and the philosophy around the business was the digital reg- yeah. revolution. And I started, you know, so in answer to your question, how did I start making money? I, I, and it wasn't judgment. It wasn't any sort of, you know, entrepreneurial insight on my part. But I, I noticed a, a gap in the market for nature photo tours. So so we were one of the first, um, I hesitate to use the word pioneers, but we were one of the first <laughs> companies to start offering um you know, nature photography workshops, holidays, tours, call them what you will. And we, we started that in 98, myself and Mark. Yeah. And and in those days, there were, you know, the competition was almost zero. Yeah. Um, now, of course, you know, the, the model has been flipped completely on yeah. it, on its uh, over 180 degrees. And, and most people now are not selling their product, i.e. their images. They're selling their knowledge. Yeah, their I don't experience. know a photographer that doesn't run no, tours. No, no, I don't. And I mean, ironically, I've now stopped doing them. But that's <laughs> primarily because I've been doing it for twenty years. Yeah. But, but you know, that again, that was a journey that had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I just happened to be at the end of it earlier because I've been doing it. You've so been doing long. it longer, yeah. But um, but nevertheless, you, you know, there's a young lad said to me not long ago, and he'd had a think about it, and he said, you know, the way I look at it, he said, the only way to to get into nature photography as a career is get a commission from Nat Geo and that's not going to happen. And he said, or run a pretty large, significant photo tour business and, mm. and that's not going to happen either. And I think I only, I only have to go back probably three, four years when I would have said to him, actually, you're wrong there. There are opportunities in this little niche, that little niche. Mm. You, you look down that avenue, not many people are doing that. But three or four years on, I have to say, I, I can't offer those alternatives. I, I have to say, I, I probably agree with him now. Mm, so saturated, it, it's saturated. And, and the the ability for, if I was starting again today, I, I couldn't do it. I, I just don't think it's viable. So, you know, my, and, and I know people don't want to hear this. But yeah, don't be disgruntled listeners. I mean, Peter's really positive <laughs> and he wants you to, you know, really enjoy and, and, and think about a career in it. But, you know, I get it. I mean, I, I think what's interesting is, um, you know, the workshop side of things is, and, and you mentioned digital revolution mm. a couple of times, is that for me, I mean, maybe if this would be, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this because I feel like it really democratised photography. Before it was kind of an elite subject. Yeah. I mean, I know you didn't have tons of money in the beginning, but you do need 
you know, then you needed big budgets for film and, uh, and you know, not just buying, processing, making all mistakes going out again. And now, you know, it's, it's so accessible. Entry-level DSLRs are affordable. Mm-hmm. And I celebrate that. I think it's a good thing. And then, of course, what it did do is, is open up this whole market for people wanting to learn how to use them. I guess the trouble is still really that there's so many people wanting to make a living out of running workshops from um, teaching people how to use these cameras that, that that is another difficult area to get into. But it's not, I mean, I guess it's still not impossible. It's not impossible. I mean, you know, nature photography is is a business and, and, and it's subjected to the same laws of, of supply and demand as any other business. And we are in a situation where most products that, that or services that nature photographers offer, you know, supply exceeds demand. And the first thing that happens when 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 that is the case is that prices start to, to, to come down. So, you know, it's not impossible. And, you know, I'd be the last one to, to dissuade anybody from, from trying. But I just think you need to go into it with your eyes open. You need to try and do something a little bit different to what's already out there. There's no point in replicating what's already in the marketplace. The problem is, I suppose, the opportunities to find that new idea, that new angle, that new niche are becoming harder and harder yes. to find. But, you know, there are success stories out there um, and some of them are at wild screen this, this week. So it's not impossible, but I think you just have to be realistic and, and perhaps, perhaps build in some sort of insurance plan, i.e., you know, a full-time job that affords you the luxury, the time to go out and take yeah. pictures, and and you know, you can you can run the two in parallel for a number of years before your your photography takes yeah. off. But starting yeah. from a clean sheet from day one is really really tough. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think we can sugarcoat that. You no, know? A, con- a contemporary of ours, Eddie Ephraims, said said a really great and quite funny thing about working with photographers. So you know, he does a lot of mentoring and photographers who want to make books he supports and he said you know his experience the happiest photographers that he works with are not professional absolutely yeah they're the ones that are you know they've got a side gig or they're doing another job and they're just doing it for the love and the fun and they really enjoy it and he said they're really good as yeah well, you know, yeah invariably they're really good well your, your your creativity is unleashed so to speak if there's no if there's no you know deadlines and yeah. and, and sort of creative straitjacketing that 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 you you're you're imposed you know you're you're affected by so yeah it's it's a liberating process as a guy I I know I, I don't know he's around now but he I remember meeting him and he, he had a really good job on the oil rigs and it, I can't remember exactly but it was like something like two weeks on two weeks off mega mucks. And he wanted to turn professional. You think, you're crazy. <laughs> You've got more time to photograph than I have. Yeah. <laughs> You've got more money at your disposal to travel away. And you want to, you want to risk all that just for the, the, as he perceived it, the kudos, very misguided in yes. my opinion, but the, the kudos of being a full-time nature photographer. That's madness. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's, there's an element of pragmatism that, that has to be exercised when you're making a decision about any career change, never mind this one. Yeah, of course. Um, and as I say, there are avenues, but it's it's not easy. And I think you've just got to, you've just got to accept and, and be risen. But, you know, there's two things you can do. You can sit around moaning about it, and I'll do a fair amount of that. <laughs> or you can adapt to the marketplace and, and try and exploit new new opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're the two choices. And if you want to make this work, you've got to do the latter. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you have to be able to evolve with it. I mean, certainly when I started out, I had this vision of, you know, long lens, exotic stuff, and just photographing. I didn't know how I was going to get stuff out there or publish. But, you know, over the years, you become... 
a public speaker, you become a spreadsheet expert, you become, you know, all these things around the business of photography, writing proposals, getting sources of funding, talking to people. Photography is quite a small percentage, isn't it? Way, way down the list. Yeah. Way down. If you want to, certainly if you want to be a, you know, a sort of conservation storyteller, photojournalist, call it what you will, then... You know, the ability to take a half-decent image is, is way down the list, and as you say, superseded by all of those other things. But equally, when you're running a tour business, you know, you imagine, wrongly, that you're going to be out, you know, out taking pictures in beautiful locations. But actually, you know, you're a, you're a chauffeur, you're, a, you're a, an educator, you're a comedian, a social worker, yeah. an accountant, a logistic, you know, a waitress, waiter. And, and photography, you know, is number 10 or 11 or 12 down the list. So... Uh, you stop I, at wiping people's noses, I hope. Well, <laughs> maybe I do now. There was a time when I'd have done it, but yeah. So I think you, you've again, you've got to you've got to contextualize. You've got to have things in perspective. Um, being a good photographer is not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. Um, you've got to have a lot of different skills um, and, and exploit many different um, many different arenas. You mentioned some of them. So yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a rounded set of skills that not everybody has. Some people can develop them. Some people can't. Um, but, you know, being able to take a decent picture is, is really just the beginning. Yeah, and that's really evident here. I mean, you, you know, you hear these, a lot of these speakers are coming, you know, English is their second language, and they're so good yeah. at telling stories. And, you know, I've just seen Tom Pashuk's talk, and, um, you know, it's, it's of course, it's National Geographic, it's big and it's slick, but it's inspiring, mm. really inspiring stuff. And now also kind of with the advent of, well, not now, because it's been going for quite a while, being able to shoot video on um, on DSLRs. And I was also going to ask, you know, how much, I know, I think you kind of avoid it and leave that to other people, but have you explored it much in, in, in your work yourself? Well, actually, in the last 12 months, I've, I've taken very, very, very few still images. So, yes, right. I mean, the demand for what we do at Scott in the Big Picture is is predominantly video now so yeah i mean i've had to up, up tall is that a word but anyway i have to scale up my uh, level yeah. of, of of ability and, and and equipment to to be shooting 4k video yeah. you know that's the kind of the common currency so that's a steep learning curve but you know it, it's where the demand is I, I don't just mean demand financial uh, demand but also demand from 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 people who want to communicate you know they they, they see they can do it more effectively through video than through stills images. I mean, the, 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 there's a big crossover between the two, but yeah, so for the last 12 months, I've been shooting predominantly video. Great, are you, are you enjoying it? Not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, I, I feel as though, you know, if I was ever gonna be good at it, and that's debatable, I should have probably done it 20 years ago. So I'm probably doing it because I have to do it, yeah. you know. I mean, I still enjoy being out in, I still enjoy communicating all yeah. of these messages. And, and as I say, the. The visual media is just, just the currency, really. So it doesn't really matter whether it's video or stills. But no, I, I'm a stills photographer at heart. Um, it's just that the the opportunity to use my image, my still imagery, is is at the moment at least um, diminished. So yeah. I'll, I'll no doubt come back to it. But yeah. yeah, and I must be careful because you know we are talking a lot because we know a lot about each other's work. And I've mentioned you know Scotland, the big picture. You've talked about it a bit, but there'll be listeners that don't know about it. And this is your current project it's been going on since when did you start it well i started it just as a i mean again just going back to to um coming out of 2020 vision then my wife gave me the ultimatum yes. <laughs> i kind of started it really with a view to getting back to my photographic roots you know those projects they involve a huge amount of administrative managerial time you get involved in politics it's 
you, you know, the last thing that you, you, you end up being is a photographer. So I kind of wanted to get back to that. I just wanted to get back to sitting in my hide in the forest photographing red squirrels. Um, so so I, that's what I was set out to do. Um, so Scotland, the big picture didn't exist. I then thought, okay, well, you know, I can spend a couple of years doing this and maybe a book would be nice at the end of it yeah. and, and all the rest of it. Anyway, cut a long story short, it gradually grew arms and legs and then Mark got involved and James got involved. And in the end, we ended up um, forming a, 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 a company limited by guarantee, which is effectively a charity in all but name. We're constituted as a social enterprise. That basically means that although we as individuals can get paid by the company yeah. at a fair market rate. Um, there's no shareholding. So if there's any surplus funds left in the pot, they, those funds have to be used to right. further the objectives of the company. So as I say, it's a charity in all but name. And and really, Scotland, the big picture is um, its it's its purpose really is to inform and inspire and influence fresh thinking around the potential for and benefits of a wilder Scotland. Most yes. people perceive wild Scotland as as wild and raw and, and even untouched, you know, the word wilderness is banded around a lot. And, yeah. and there's no doubt about it that it's a spectacular country, but actually ecologically speaking, it's it's massively depleted. Mm. We've, we've lost all our large carnivores. We've lost most of our large herbivores. You know, we desperately hold on to these pockets of isolated woodlands and, and little pockets of wild, little boxes of green, really. <clears throat> and so rewilding is a, is, a, is a movement that's gathering momentum across the conservation sector and it's all about repairing, restoring, revitalizing healthy ecosystems. So it's conservation at a landscape scale. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in yeah. Scotland. And, and we've really become the, the sort of commentators on that process, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. And how do you get that across, you know, in images? How do you kind of tell that story? I mean, obviously, the images have to be powerful. They have to be beautiful. They have to be professional. Mm -hmm. But what, I mean, it, it's a difficult thing to do. How, how do you present a story about Scotland here with beautiful shots of mountains, but convince people that this is not how it should be or how it could be. Yeah, it's tricky. And I, I don't know that you can easily do it with, with one or two images. I think, you know, we, we've got a photography team, a loose, loose, loose team that, that contributes to the pot. And we end up telling the story with a collection of images or, or, a, or a film. Um, mm. and we, you know, we do, we do individual stories through magazine articles, that sort of thing. But the, the bigger rewilding story, because it is such a big story, far-reaching story, um, it's very difficult to do with a small number of images. So, you know, we've just done, we've just published a book, Scotland: A Rewilding Journey, which brings together. Um, you know, a, a written narrative, obviously, but also about a hundred images, which hopefully not only celebrate and showcase Scotland at its best, the beauty and the drama, but also question the the, the perception of Scotland as a wild, untouched place, because it's anything but. It's a heavily managed landscape, and you know, not only is that um, lacking in biodiversity, actually the landscape functions. Um, less than optimally for people. So if you take flooding, for example, you know, we've got a, a huge amount of bare hillside in, in yes. Scotland. Well, you know, at a, at a, any, you don't need to be a hydrologist to work out that that's going to exacerbate potential flooding downstream. So I think this rewilding conversation actually isn't isn't an environmental conversation. It's it's one that affects society at large. Yeah, and it's not just about we have to you know do this for the animals. This is actually affecting people. Exactly, and I think you know we we've got to understand as a, as a community, as a society, as a species, even that we are inextricably linked to you know a, a web of life that extends far far beyond the the human species. Yes, and I think that's a 
that's a big ask for, yeah. for somebody. And, and, you know, so the work that we're doing, it takes many different forms, but it's, it's kind of that message really, you know, what happens in the natural environment affects us directly. You don't have to actually give a hoot about red squirrels or sure. red deer or whatever, um, because this will affect you. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, I think one of the, one of the big thing, things that really stood out for me and, you obviously you did have beautiful images in your slideshow, but it was the the, the map uh, of Scotland showing the islands of trees that exist, and what was it, eighty four, eighty six? Yeah, eighty four. Yeah, and it was really that's, that's really quite shocking mm. you know, to see how um, little ancient woodland um, does exist there. And, and you know, for me, I, I haven't done a great deal of travelling in Scotland, but would not have assumed that um, at all. And I guess that's part of what you're doing, and that's being a communicator um, is is raising awareness yeah i think i think we i suppose we're trying to without sounding patronizing we're trying to realign or or, or um yeah realign perceptions you know or influence perceptions because most people perceive that, that there's nothing wrong so why do you need to fix it yes um but i think it's only when you understand the ecological story and, and over many centuries how we've drained and burned and hunted and uh, felled and, and you know we've, we've, we've eliminated many species that once lived in Scotland so so bit by bit the jigsaw has been dismantled mm -hmm. and, and ultimately maybe not in my lifetime but ultimately that will come and bite us on the backside mm -hmm. so you know it makes sense to me to recognize that and start to reinvest to restore to revitalize to rewild um, where we can um, you know, significant parts of Scotland so that it functions better, not only for, for the, a, a range of wildlife species, but for, for people as well. Yeah. Um, and that kind of brings me quite nicely to the, you know, this idea of being uh, not a wildlife photographer, but a, a conservation photographer. And how, you know, how does that work? You've got this area in Scotland, I mean, you talked, we could talk a little bit about Ken Gorn's Connect, which is which is connected to Scotland, the big picture. Um, but you you talked a lot yesterday in your presentation about um, you know this word rewilding and it being you know quite young mm -hmm. and 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 it's about in, informing people. And you know, this is it's, it's kind of a silly question because I know you sort of do believe in it, but I I think to the what. what makes uh, a photographer a conservation photographer? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, in my case, I suppose, you know, I did. I, I no longer consider myself a nature photographer in, in the conventional sense. Mm -hmm. And I was just struggling to come up with what am I, you know. <laughs> it sounds a bit pretentious to say, you know, I don't know, rewilding communicator. So I suppose conservation photographer was the nearest pigeonhole I could, I, I fit I fitted into. So... Yeah, I don't know what a conservation photographer. I mean, there, there are there are definitions that have been written, established, discussed, um, and I think let's assume there is such a thing as a conservation photographer. Um, I think probably it comes down to not necessarily what you photograph, and, and not necessarily even how you photograph it, but what you intend to do with your images. Yes. What are you taking these pictures for? Are you taking them to 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 generate you know some sort of um, social media presence? Are you taking them for your local camera club competition? Are you taking them to show your family? Or are you taking them for a, a more sort of conservation-driven reason? Right. So yeah. what are you going to do with these images? Are they are they going to do something? Are they going to affect people? And going back to the polar bear that you mentioned at the beginning, you know, that 
pretty as it, as it is, and, and as I said in the talk, I'm, I'm not going to deny that looking down the barrel of the polar bear isn't a great thrill. Sure. But what is that image going to do? Yes. Is it going to affect anything? And, and I look at it and think, not really, no. It's just, mm. it's just pleasant. Mm. And, and so, you know, if I was revisiting polar bears and trying to tell their story, and there's, there's people doing that much better than I am, you know, you've got to think to yourself, not only the technical considerations of lighting, background, viewpoint, all that, all that technical stuff. Mm-hmm. What is this image going to achieve? What is it saying? What is its story? What is its output? Where am I going to get this image seen? Mm-hmm. Does it need other images to sit alongside it sure. to, to, to come alive? You know, so it's the storytelling element of, of it that kind of drives me now. And as I say, conservation photography really is is the outcome. What do you do with those images or film once it's once they've been secured? Yeah, and that's probably the difference. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's an end. It's an end point. What is the end point? Yeah, um, and alongside that, you know, we we talked about this a lot over, over this weekend, and I know you, you post kind of regularly about this on Instagram as well. But this idea of you know. Should we wield the stick or, or or dangle the carrot? And you know this. And I, I talked to Jasper Deuce about this on on Monday as well. It's very easy to to blame. It's very easy to you know wag the finger at, at people that don't come round to your way of thinking. I mean, re- rewilding, of course, to me it makes sense. It's it's it seems like a really good idea. And you know you've seen well my my first you know big. Um, sort of penny drop moment about it was watching George Monbiot's talk about Yellowstone yeah. and, and I know you're already seeing results from 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 what you do but yeah talk a little bit about that because I think it's really useful to to it's certainly useful for me to learn as well but some of our listeners about your approach because you're trying to affect change um, to all these different groups I know you don't like using the words you know farmers conservationists but I think it's really it's an interesting debate to have. Mm. Yes it is a really interesting but I mean this this my, my present view on it, which I'll come to, kind of goes back right back to 2006, 2005, 2006, when we did Tooth and Claw. And I think, you know, when you talk about predators, be they wolves or pine martins or seals, and you, you, you talk to different interest groups about their perceptions of and attitudes towards those species, it's really very revealing about the human condition, how varied a set of belief systems come to the fore. Um, and predators get people fired up, good, bad, and indifferent. Yes. So it's a good subject to get. So I, I learned. I, I'd like to think I learned a huge amount about people's value systems. Why do they think what they think? Why do they do what they do? What What is it that's motivating this individual? And I think that experience, and 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 that's been extrapolated over subsequent projects, has now sort of come to bear fruit because I think we've concluded and, and I'm, you know, I'm not the last word on this by any means but I think that beating people over the head with a stick and telling them mm-hmm. that they should behave differently or they should think a certain way it just doesn't work mm. you know people tend to stick two fingers up at you most yeah. of the time and and it's easy to try and do that it's easy to be angry and mm. to, to get on social media and have a rant and, and I get that I get angry myself I get frustrated but it just doesn't work in the mm. long term so we have to play the long game. We have to take a step back and take a deep breath and say, okay, there are lots and lots of people out there that don't agree with rewilding or mm. with veganism or with you know anti-plastic or whatever the issue happens to be. Why do those people, why are those people not as passionate about it as I am? And it's because they'll have different priorities in their lives. They'll, they'll live their lives by a different set of rules, different set of values, different set of belief systems. You've got to understand and recognize that. 
So what's the best way to get in amongst that? You've got to get under the skin, get inside people's heads. And, and the best way I think of doing that is, is to bring them along on the journey with you. So it then becomes the carrot. You know, if you're a farmer, for example, it may be that, you know, at the moment you're a dedicated upland sheep farmer. That's what you've done for 20 years. That's what your father did before him, et cetera, et cetera. It's no good me coming along saying, actually, what you do is ecologically damaging. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my tires slashed at the end of the drive, you know? So you've got to go about it a different way. You've got to offer alternatives, solutions, aspirations, hope. Yes. You know, what what's your industry look like in 20 years? And if it's looking a bit bleak, how about thinking about affecting some sort of change now and, and instigating that gradually? So it's a longer process, it's more frustrating, it, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, but just getting angry and shouting and bashing over people over the head with a stick through the media, I'm just not convinced it yeah. works. So, yeah, you, you, it's, a, it's a carrot rather than a stick. Yeah. And have you seen examples of it working? Yes, I have. I mean, I, you know, this is not an exact science, but, but a very quick story. I, I work sure. with a gamekeeper on the west coast of Scotland who's, who you, you would describe as a traditionalist. And, and him and I have a funny relationship. We get on on a personal level really well. But his belief systems are the polar opposite to mine. So yeah. we have some interesting discussions. And we did this book recently um, on, on links. Um, and the idea of this book um, and the funding process allowed us to give 500 copies away to key influencers, landowners, politicians, land managers, etc. Great. Um, so what a great idea. Well, the idea was to not necessarily persuade them about links, but to inform them. So have an opinion, it might be different to mine, but at least make that an informed opinion. And here's a tool that will allow you to be informed. Yeah. So that was the basis of publishing the book. And, and Colin, this keeper, had one of these books. And when I gave it to him, he, <laughs> you know, and he kind of made a bit of a half-veiled threat about putting it on the fire. <laughs> and I said, we'll have it anyway. And um, anyway, about a week later, I got an email um, and he said, Oh, he said, this is sticking in my craw saying this. He said, but I've read the book. He said, beautiful book, beautiful images. And he said, I'm actually coming around to wanting links. And I'm like, yeah, beautiful. Gotcha. And, and all that was, it wasn't me persuading it. It was just giving him the information and saying, look, here's a measured, balanced, factual document. Read it. If you still feel the same way, fine, yeah. but read it. And he yeah. came back and said, I'm not champing at the bit to see links back, but I'm less resistant than I was. So it's those little victories, if you like, those little successes that that tell you that, you know, bit by bit, you make a bit of a difference. It's, it's so worth it. And you, we were just talking about that before, because it's, it's, you know, when you are passionate about a subject, you know, you're like you say, you want to be angry, you want to be frustrated. And, and the the leading by example approach is seems very passive and, and 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 not active, but I think it's, I suppose in many ways it's like being a photographer trying to get a good picture. You just have to keep persevering, um, and it's interesting. You know, this is a photography podcast, but we're we're you know, hardly talking about you know photographs in a sense. It's just about being a communicator and talking to people and trying to get forward your thoughts and opinions but without you know ranting or preaching and um yeah it seems like this is a lot of what your work is about these days well i think photography it, it's a it's a it's a language it's a universal language it's accessible to everyone you know you, it doesn't matter what your social background or level of education or particular interest you know you know photography speaks to everybody yeah. and that's the beauty of it it's a it, and, and it's a, it's also a door opener. It's a key that opens doors to, to conversations that wouldn't 
otherwise take place. And I think that's the that's the exciting thing for me. So so I look upon, you know, I look upon my images or our images as almost like a set of keys that are going to allow us access to new audiences, new conversations, new ideas, and from there, you know, you start to you start to build a consensus and. And have conversations that, that, as I say, wouldn't be possible without that that sort of um, yeah. that lighting that blue touch paper using your imagery. So, it's a language that I think is has huge potential. I think the conservation industry generally is has been late coming to the party, understanding that. I think mm -hmm. that's changing now. Um, but you know, we live in a visual world, and I think you know, if conservation in the round wants to be heard in that world, then we or seen, then it has to start making use of, of, of um, or making more creative use of imagery than it perhaps has done traditionally. Yeah. We're um, going to slowly come to an end here. Now I mentioned Ken Gorn's Connect, and um, I'd like you to talk just a little bit about this because this is really in interesting. And Pete actually lives right on the edge of Ken Gorn's National Park, and he said there's nothing to do with your name, there's no like family connection. <laughs> I don't own it. No, um, but yeah, it's obviously, it must be wonderful living there. And this is a really good example of doing stuff, you know, literally in your in your backyard. So is Cairngorms Connect, is it, is it, was it born out of Scotland, the big picture? Or is it something that's been around longer? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, very basically, it's four separate land holdings, all, all big estates. I mean, in, in Scotland, you know, the size of land holdings are huge, yes. measured in hundreds of thousands of acres in, in some cases. So this is an area of 600 square kilometres. There are four landowners, some of them private, some of them conservation NGOs, some of them public, um, who have come together, who, who for some time actually have been doing the same thing on the ground. And it's to do with peatland restoration, forest, rest, forest regeneration, um, re-naturalising the landscape, if you like. Um, and they've been working individually for some time, um, but have very recently come together as a, as a collaborative, as a, as, a, as a coalition of the willing, if, if you like, uh, on the basis that, you know, working together, they can be more effective, they can access funding more, more readily, et cetera, et cetera. So actually, it's, it's nothing to do with us other than it being fortuitous, A, because it's happening now, and B, yeah. because we live right on the doorstep. But yeah. that, that's luck rather than judgment. Um, and we've been doing a lot of media work with them over the last couple of years, um, we've made a short film, we've done their website, we've written their brochures, et cetera, et cetera. So again, this is down to communications. Yeah. Yes, the visual imagery is, is, is the gloss, if you like, yeah. it's the shop window. But actually, this is again, it's about storytelling. This is about what Cairngorms Connect is doing, why, what are the benefits, not only to wildlife, but to people, and then communicating that message over, over a wider, wider uh, audience. So, you know, we've just recently put together a a presentation mm -hmm. we're not going to deliver that they're going to go and deliver that themselves but it's it, it's it's made much more compelling because it's using our imagery to further their message so we're basically creating the tools the communication tools that they will use to go out and communicate yeah so it's a, it's a synod you know so it's a pooling of skill sets a pooling of resources Absolutely. it must be quite nice for you as well to actually just you know be a content producer and then not have to travel around and i mean i know you've been here obviously presenting that but leaving it to to, to other people and you being part of that cog in this whole machine of conservation must feel good and that is exactly what i we are and we you know we all do it to a certain extent you're a cog in a mechanism yeah you know you 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 play to your strengths, you, you recognize your shortcomings, you let other people play to their strengths. And I think, you know, there is much more collaboration, cooperation, coalition in in uh, in the conservation community now than, than there ever has been in the past. I think gradually people are, <coughs> excuse me, are accepting and understanding that 
um, communications is, is a vital element in conservation and that you know, professional communicators are best placed to produce that content. Now, that wasn't the case for, for many, many years. Yeah, so, sure. so it's great from our point of view that the likes of Cairngorms Connect and others are coming to us recognising that there's something we're pretty good at um, and, and paying us to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and as you say, we then, you know, take our place in the in the, in the whole mechanism of, of forwarding, rewilding. So, uh, so yeah, it's exciting times, lots to be done, lots of challenges, of course, there always are. Yeah. Um, but personally... Um, you know, I'm 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 at a better place now with my photography stroke visual media than I have been in you know in, in probably 10, 15 years. Well, it comes through 10, 15 years of trying, making mistakes. Yeah. You know, just going for it. Yeah. As well. Yeah. And yeah, that that is this one of the things that I've really taken away from from this festival. You know, watching a lot of photographers talk is is doing more than just taking photographs. I saw a presentation with uh, Emmanuel Biggie and uh, Robin Moore and both of them it, it was about um and amphibians, you know, small creatures and and you know, particularly Emmanuel talked a lot about he didn't just want to take a picture, he wanted to get involved. So he was, you know, swabbing frogs and doing all of this other stuff and very much talking about photography being a tool and us as photographers have to do more than just take even if they're you know, not necessarily nice pictures, but pictures that are, are hard hitting, you just you still have to do more of that. It can't just be about taking photos and moving on and um, you know communicating the story behind those pictures. I mean, you know, going back to an earlier point, if you if you if you want to influence or affect change, then it's not taking the picture. That's not the end point. That's the start point. You know, you've got or pictures or film, whatever it happens to be. It's making sure that they are used to their maximum um, level of opportunity to, to, in, to, in, to, to influence a, a change. And, mm. and I think it's what you do with your pictures that's equally, if not more important than, you know, than, than securing yeah. them in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, and I was curious what you are going to do next. I mean, maybe your, your wife might listen to this and she'll be thinking, what, what word is Pete going to come up with to disguise the fact that this is another huge project? Have you got anything else that you're working on on the horizon that you can talk about? No, I think, no, I genuinely haven't. And I, and I, I genuinely look upon Scott and the Big Picture as, as, the, uh, as a lifetime project. Yes. Uh, I hesitate to use the word project, not just because of my wife. But, <laughs> so yeah, this, is my, this is what I look upon as my job. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I've done the... I've done the sort of apprenticeship, if you like, and as, as you say, made all those mistakes and whatever. So I think, you know, this is now, I look upon this as, as my life's work now for however long I can carry on working. Um, so yeah, we're in this for the long haul. Where it will go, um, who knows? But for the moment, it's, it's really exciting. I'm, I'm as passionate about it as I've, I've been about anything in the past. Um, and it's just great to be part of, a, of, a, of a, the rewilding movement, which is new, fresh, it's full of hope, it's full of aspiration. Um, it's full of possibilities, and mm. that, that's the most exciting point. You know, we, there's all sorts of opportunities, not only for rewilding itself, but for the players within it. And, and you know, we're just one of those players. Yeah, I think that's great. And yeah, you touched on this yesterday as well, because you can, after a while, you know, get a bit disheartened, of course, in so many negative news stories. But you're very much up for trying to keep things. Positive. I mean, selling hope is a much better sell, isn't it? It's an easier sell. You know, people do listen to to, to you selling hope, and 
it's difficult because, of course, if you if you sell too much hope, then people accuse you of not being realistic. Yeah. And, and if you sell too much depression, <laughs> then people accuse yeah. So it's a hard line to work. But I think rewilding is a vision for the future. It's a vision that offers hope for both wildlife and people. And for the moment, at least, I'm I'm more than happy to play my part in in furthering that vision. Brilliant, Pete. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I think we could go on for another hour. Um, we probably want to get out. It's a beautiful day here in Bristol. And I've just heard my, my daughter's <laughs> kicked in, so it's probably time to go. Um, but really, I really appreciate your time. And, and also, um, you'll have a page on the podcast and we'll put links to all your projects uh, that people can find more about and they'll be in, in the notes. So, um, and hopefully the conversation can be continued that way. Thanks so much. Uh, pleasure. Many thanks to Pete and, in fact, all my guests over the past two years who have been really generous with their time and helping this podcast to get off the ground. And I'm not sure about you, but I've learned so much from talking with people like Pete and tapping into their ideas and pursuits has been hugely influential on me. So if you ever get the chance to hear Pete speak about his work or rewilding or conservation in general, I'm sure like me, you'll come away inspired and perhaps more importantly, well informed. It's funny as well as with my interview with Jasper, we ended up talking more about conservation than the ins and outs of photography. But this is a direction that many of the top photographers are and have been taking over the past few years and with good reason, you know, the plight of species has intensified drastically so well-informed visual storytelling does have the capacity to reach a wide audience and play an important role in affecting change so to find out more about scotland the big picture and pete's other projects you can visit his website which is petecairnsphotography.com that's p-e-t-e-c-a-i rns photography.com his instagram handle is at pete underscore cans underscore photography and on twitter you can find him at pete cans photo so if you've enjoyed this podcast i would love it if you could leave a review on itunes share the links it really helps to spread the word uh, particularly with the conservation angle that these interviews are taking in the nature photography world it would be great to for these stories to get out there to as wide an audience as possible. Um, and also to people that are really not necessarily familiar to the nature photography world. There's a, a lot of important other information out there. If you'd like to find out more about me, my website is matthewmoran.com. And if you are in the London area, I'm continuing to run workshops throughout 2019 on Hampstead Heath, usually the last weekend of every month. Um, we've got dates throughout 2019, the beginning of 2020. Um, they fill up quickly, so if you do want to book, I suggest doing it sooner rather than later. Um, I'm also on mostly active on Instagram. Uh, it's at Matt Moran Photo, and the same handle is for Twitter. All right, that's uh, another year wrapped up. Wishing you all a happy Christmas. Many thanks for listening and see you in the new year. Mm -hmm.